0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change, the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for our wholesale change agents like you. My name's Ian Heller. I'll be your co-host today, along with the lovely and talented Jonathan Byng, PhD, my business partner and good friend. Jonathan, how are you today?
1: Glad to be working with somebody who is also talented and lovely.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, sir. I would like to compliment you on your excellent ability to judge people. Discernment, yes. Discernment. Discernment is, hey, we have a great show today. We're going to introduce him here uh, shortly. We're going to talk about uh, how to turn inside sales reps into home run hitters. But before we do that, we need to do just a little business. We want to thank our first sponsor, which is Epicor a company that has been helping thousands of wholesale distributors integrate all of their business functions into one enterprise resource planning or ERP system for more than 50 years. Because of their deep experience in the distribution business, they get you and your unique distribution challenges. Their ERP solutions were designed with distributors for distributors. That just means that their solutions are built specifically with the right functionality for the distribution world. They're ready to use, out of the box, without complex and expensive customizations. It's one of the top reasons new customers tell Epicor they selected Epicor for distribution solutions over others. You can learn more about Epicor at com slash distribution. That's epicor.com slash distribution. Fantastic. And now we're going to thank. Guess what? A brand new product being launched by a Distribution Strategy Group.
1: It's DSG Analytics.
0: Jonathan, you're going to give us a description. Take it away.
1: Very simple idea. You want to know how much gold is in them bar hills. How do you know how much the wallet is for an existing customer? Where do you find prospects that fit your ideal customer profile? How big is your market and what is our share of it? We have a demand, customer demand analytics platform that allows you to answer these questions. Next slide. And the platform allows you to understand the spend by product category and to do a gap analysis. So in this example, you can see there are two, there there are actually four product categories where there's quite a bit of runway left. The shop, supply, safety, electrical, and cutting tools, where there's quite a bit of opportunity left in, in this existing account for you to go go get. So once you have this information, it changes how your field sales and your proactive inside salespeople and your marketing approach the market and allows you to grow wallet share and market share.
0: Yeah. So to our podcast listeners, we're showing a graphic that shows that this tool will give you uh, specific information about the gaps between what's addressable or achievable uh, by product category and what you have today. It's based on real data. Um,
1: we think it's you know really the best data out there. Jonathan, how can people get a hold of you? Jonathan Bine, at jbeinatdistributionstrategy.com, 303-898-8636. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, good. Now, pleasure
0: to introduce our guest for the day, someone I've worked with for about 20 years who taught me a lot, and I can't wait to learn more. Welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Peck. So i got to give you a little bit of background on how uh, Mark and I met. So I had just finished up a 15-year run at Granger. I started off as a truck unloader. I've been the VP of marketing. Thought I knew a thing or two about sales and marketing. Then when I was at Newark Electronics... Uh, Running marketing and merchandising, we hired this character out of Wisconsin who came in and in his humble, low-key way. I just told him before the show that his character flaws, that he's too nice. But uh, uh, this character came along and in his very professorial with devastating, accurate way using lots and lots of data, proved to me that I didn't know nearly as much as I thought. That was the beginning of a 20-year education. I really should start paying you just for the lessons I've learned from you, Mark, on how to integrate inside sales and outside sales and customer service. So uh, with that as the
1: caveat, welcome to the show. Let me add one piece. But also, Mark had such a passionate response to our last session on proactive inside sales. Oh, yeah that we felt compelled to have him come in and, and and share his piece on this, which was a, we think a great compliment to what we shared before. And I would also point out, even though the title has got home run in it, Mark is actually a college basketball player and he's six feet eight. So we're, we're, we're bridging sports here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, that is kind of funny because after the last show, Mark, we'll let you talk in a minute. We'll give hand it over to you, but Mark reached out in his nice gentle way and basically said, there's so much you left out that you gave them, you gave your audience useful, but in not actionable information, you should have me on to clarify the rest. That's not, those aren't the words you used, but that was the net effect. Admit it, Mark.
2: <laughs> I admit it, Ian. So that <laughs> was what I meant. And by the way, I thought, I thought it was closer to 25 years ago that we started working together, but because uh, mm. uh, I think it was back when I was maybe 18 years old. Yeah, so you're I'm right. right. 25 years that.
0: ago, I was 15. So that's probably right.
2: <laughs> okay so uh so we're going to talk about inside sales yeah
0: and, and and in those in all those years of of consulting mark where do you start with these customers i mean what what is it that they're missing that leads them not to understand that they really need to look at inside sales differently is it is it the is it that they're measuring the wrong things
2: you know i've worked with a lot of clients that have uh have had existing teams. In fact, most companies, most distributors do have some existing team, whether it's a few people or a, or, a, or a large team. And they always struggle a bit with trying to understand the metrics. How do I measure this thing? And how do I use the metrics to manage this as a business? And and what I find is they end up measuring what's what they can measure or what's convenient to measure or, or what they understand. Uh, so I see people measure things like, uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to measure number of calls and I'm going to use that as a metric to manage the team, or I'm going to, I'm going to, because I can do it, I'm going to measure talk time because that seems important and use that to manage the team. And not that either of those are bad measurements, but when they stand by themselves, they cause uh, well, what would I call it? Sort of inappropriate behavior on the Inside sales reps parts. I, mean, yeah, I can yeah. always optimize talk time. Doesn't mean I'm selling time. Yeah. Uh, I can always optimize the number of calls uh, by dialing the phone a lot, but doesn't mean I'm even getting through to customers. So, uh, so that issue it always becomes an issue with uh, with distributors. Uh, how do I measure this thing and measure it in a way that's productive and helps me manage the manage that part of the business?
0: Yeah. So one thing we do want to encourage our audience to take uh, to answer to ask questions, please use the Q and A function uh, in the toolbar of of Zoom. Uh, but Mark, I mean, this is you're. Are you talking about measurements for people who already have uh, outbound sales function in place, or because a lot of distributors don't even have that? They have a, a function they call inside sales, which is really customer service, and I don't mean that. To diminish it, it's super important, and absolutely, customers have great loyalty to their inside salespeople, but they aren't really salespeople in the sense that they're doing account management and and generating proactively
2: sales. Right. Uh, what I'm talking about is a system. It's a sort of a system of measurements to manage outbound proactive inside sales, uh, and you need it whether you're starting a new group or whether it's an existing team you have in place, uh, it helps you. Um, it's it's one of the tools that can help you notch up performance, coach appropriately, and um, and actually to to the title of this session, uh, turn turn your inside sales reps into home run hitters.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to get to the home run hitting part. But I do think it's, I mean, you've done a lot of work with us. You did a three-part series of webinars last year, uh, and you've done some other work with us that people should really refer to. But distributors need to accept up front that their inside salespeople are never going to be effective outbound sellers. You can't blend the role in the case of most people, right? You can't, they can't be customer service people who handle inbound calls and be effective outbound callers. I mean, the the psycho, the psychographics of those individuals is radically different. So you have to get to this baseline where you just accept that your inside salespeople are not going to be account managers over the phone, uh, no matter what you call them. They're really yeah. more customer service. And then once you are ready to create an outbound calling group that, you know, is a proactive inside sales group, then you're ready to start talking about how to turn them into home run hitters,
2: right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's conceivable, you know, this is sort of the, the exception. The people that move from customer service, the inbound group to, to the outbound group and are successful are, are an exception. That, that I've seen a lot of people try to move and not make it and end up back in customer service. Uh, but a few people do, but that's the exception to the rule. That's not the rule. <laughs> Uh, it's just like turning a good inside salesperson into the sales manager. It rarely is successful, but occasionally it is.
1: We have two uh, questions well, lined up here um, from the same person, Eric. Thank you. First is I love to tie inside sales to a team sales or a gross margin metric. Team is usually a geography or a customer segment. So they've, they're
2: assigned they're some broader territory. Thoughts? Well, I have a question back for Eric. Is that does the team include outside salespeople and inside salespeople, or is it only inside salespeople in the team?
0: Yes, it's it's inbound and outbound, he's saying. Or excuse me, it's outside and inside. Okay,
2: I I think that's an excellent model. In fact, I authored a book that which I love. <laughs> that is just focuses on that model called integrated account management. Um, which I believe you can still find on Amazon. And if you can't, I have copies. Uh, that I could get someone a copy if they absolutely needed to copy and couldn't find one on Amazon. Uh, but I think that's a great model. And, and, the, and the, the I think the system of metrics that we're going to talk about would apply there also.
0: But the, the other thing Eric says is, I don't want to accept that customer service can't be sellers. We need to train, support, and incent them.
2: I think he's absolutely right. They can sell. They uh, they react to the customer. They sense the customer's needs, and they can sort of cross sell, upsell. But to have them be outbound uh, prospecting, pushing new opportunities is typically not a be- good behavioral fit. And uh, what you see when you when you try to convert those a big team of those people into outbound sellers is they gravitate toward the inbound, they gravitate towards being reactive, and they gravitate towards solving the customer's problems. Nothing wrong with any of that. It's very important for the business. It just doesn't, it doesn't drive the same productivity model that you want in an outbound salesperson.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's been my experience. When you try to make them, you try to turn them into something they're not, it just doesn't work, right? I mean, they're, they're, I think actually the worst part of it is there's like 10% of people who can do both, and they trick everybody into thinking that everyone can do both, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they'll go, hey, you know, we tried this new outbound calling program. So when you guys aren't busy, you can call this list of you know customers haven't bought for a while. Look at Barbara over in branch one, two, three. She's crushing it. How come the rest of you can't do that? It would almost be better if nobody could do it. But since yeah. like five or ten percent of people can, it it dupes the sales leadership into thinking that man, if we just push hard enough, everybody else will do what Barbara does. And it
2: just never works. So, would it be helpful to sort of walk through this system this model? Sure,
0: all right let me so bring it up here
2: I, I want let me talk it through and then let's talk about it and how you use it. It's really it's a model with seven elements so and it's actually an equation. It's an equation where the the result is is how much revenue either a person or a team generates um, but the the steps, the elements tell you how they get there. So it's simple model, seven steps, I'll just go through them. It's uh, calling hours, so how many hours, work hours, they're there, whether they're actually on the phone or doing pre-call prep or post-call prep. So calling hours times dials per hour, times contacts per dial. And contacts I define as substantive dialogue with a decision maker. So you dial the phone a lot, you get to some decision makers and you get them to engage in a conversation, that's a contact. Mm. Dialing the phone and leaving a voicemail is not. Um, So calling hours times dials per hour times contacts per dial, times proposals per contact. So how often do you try to sell, pitch a product, put an offer out there to customers, Uh, that times close rate, Out of all the proposals, how often do you close it? That times average order size gives you revenue. So you could take two inside salespeople at the same revenue level, and the model is significantly different. And I've seen this play out a number of times. And what the model tells you, what the equation tells you is what they do well and what they don't do well but it tells you what they do well that's driving the revenue their revenue performance
0: right cuz you can put metrics around each step of the seven right and see uh, what's driving the revenue
2: yeah and you do have metrics for, to some degree for each step so if i take an individual person i see how many calling hours and you think if i have a team of 10 people they're pretty equal maybe they're calling working 6 hours a day out of 8 hours they're actually on the phones not right. talk time but prep post call work Um, so I take that and then dials per hour. I've got 10 people They're They're all, they're all going to be different. You know, it's a really basic measure of productivity. How many, how aggressively are they dialing and getting to the next call? Uh, might even tell you how much call planning they're doing or not doing. Uh, but sometimes people with call aversion do too much call planning. Oh, that's not unusual to see in an inside sales environment. And then we get to contacts per dial. Well, you'll see some of your inside salespeople are really good at sort of timing the calls or scheduling calls or getting through screens, getting through receptionists or getting through an assistant to get to the decision makers. Or once they get a uh, a decision maker on the phone, they're good at keeping them on the phone. So they, they turn more dials into contacts than others. But you have to have that contact in that conversation before you can start to sell. And then you get to the next one, which is proposals per contact. Well, once I get in that conversation with the customer, how good am I or how good is that inside salesperson at identifying the needs at asking the right questions to get at the needs and then, and then positioning some of our products against those needs to, to actually propose something? So you'll see a lot of variation there. Then, then you get the close rate. Well, once they offer something, once they propose something, how good are they at listening to the customer and understanding the objections and responding to those objections and, and how sometimes assertive are they at actually closing? Are they a good closer? So we see the close rate come in, in effect there. And then we have average order size. Do they cross sell? Do they upsell? Mm-hmm. Uh, how good are how effective are they at doing that, and that, and that all ends up leading to revenue. So that's how the model works together. And when you have it, you can uh, y- it becomes a coaching tool. And if you have a team of ten people, you can see oh, I have person A over here. I have John here who's really good at getting through to decision makers and getting contacts, much better than the rest of the team. Let's let's Calibrate with John, and let's get, let's teach the other people what he's doing to get through to customers. Or I have Betty over here who's got the best close rate. Uh, let's find out what she does to close. Uh, so it helps you, in that regard, manage performance and all the elements that lead to revenue, uh, and begin to use this as a coaching tool, and begin to use it to identify your stars and in, in your sale inside sales team and find out what they're doing to make a difference in this model.
0: Yeah, you know, I love this. I've, you know, worked around inside sales models for years. I've never seen this before, but it's so holistic and it gives people, um, I mean, really the ability to make some trade-offs where they're strong, right? And, and it might be that, look, I don't make as many dials per hour, but I'm better at getting through because I'm more thoughtful about how I do it or i don't make as many contacts but the ones i do turn into bigger orders and i have a better close rate and you know so it allows people to leverage where they're strong and then work on areas where they're not because they have data about how they're doing versus other people and they have their own metrics um and it it doesn't you know the problem with things like dials per hour or conversations per hour is it can really drive a lot of bad behavior to your opening point mark oh
2: absolutely if you give them a metric the people, your good people will find a way to hit it. Right. They'll find a way to perform within that metric. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen people with a talk time metric just spend more time in the conversation or or solve the customer service problem for for a customer. Or, you know, they'll find a way to hit the metric if you give them one. Sure.
1: What what occurs to me when I look at these metrics, so again, the first two are calling hours and, and dials per hour. That's just kind of showing up. That doesn't particularly re- require skill, right? It's Absolutely, just, It's yeah. just showing up. But the, the skill shows up really in the next metrics, which are the contacts per dials. Like you mentioned, some people are getting better at getting through proposals for contract, per contract per contact. That's just straight selling ability, right? And close rate. And then also the sales rep can have some effect on the average order size. So, mm-hmm. so the skill really shows up in the in the last four contacts per dial, proposals per contact.
2: Proposals per contact, close rate, and average order size. You know, this also, when you see a a team of good salespeople, they all sell a little bit different. It's not like they're uh, clones of each other. And if you have ten salespeople working and they worked with the same customer, you'd have you probably have a somewhat different performance level here. Uh, And so this allows the salespeople to perform differently, but allows you to see where they're doing really well and where they're not, and allows you to work those issues with them. And in a way that it will, you can drive revenue and and you can see how this, I mean, it's just that you run the equation, it drives, it it leads to revenue.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the equation, we'll make sure this is uh, on the wholesale change page. So if you go to distributionstrategy.com and click on Wholesale Change. There'll be this episode will be on there. I'll figure out how to uh, put a link in uh, to uh, this presentation. So if you're a podcast listener, you'll be able to see this slide. Um, but uh, we do have another question from a listener. Tom wants to know how do you measure each of these steps, Mark? Particularly the calling hours, dials per hour, and contacts per dial.
2: If you have a CRM, uh, and I would hope most people that are running an inside sales program have a crm some type of crm system uh you can set that up in a way to get some of these metrics now dials per hour probably the best uh thing you can do is use your phone system to get your dials um so if you have a crm and you can integrate it with your phone system you're going to get most of these uh the other ones uh some of these are more uh, self-reported by the inside sales team. So if they're in the CRM, only they can tell if they have a decision maker on the phone. The CRM can't necessarily tell that uh, and whether they're having a sub- substantive dialogue with that decision maker. So you need, what I've seen work effective is when they they flag in the CRM whether this is a contact or not, or they flag whether they propose something in this Contact or not. So some of these things are self-reported, but all tracked within the CRM. Other than maybe dials, dials might come in from uh, and integrate it with the CRM from the phone system.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know, my experience is that even in distributors that have had a hard time implementing a CRM with their outside sales force, it gets adopted very enthusiastically by the outbound callers because they need this to work off of. It's just an efficient way for them to work. They've got their their uh, contact data in front of them. They've got, you know, they, they can look at the notes from previous calls, they can see transactions if your CRM is configured that way. And so the whole reluctance around CRM adoption that you find with an outside Salesforce is flipped on its head with an inside Salesforce is doing proactive calls where they, they get the tool immediately. It's they're at, they're sitting at a screen. They're, yep. they're clicking the dial in many cases. So they, if you're reluctant or if you've had trouble with the CRM for your outside Salesforce, don't let that color your impression of what kind of adoption you'll get with a, a group of outbound callers. In my experience, you just yeah. don't have that problem. They love in, it.
2: In fact, I go back to the question and comment we had from, I think it was Eric earlier. When you have an integrated team inside and outside, you find that inside takes more control over the data, the right. CRM system than the outside. Uh, and and the way to keep your database accurate is to let the inside team do it rather than the outside team. Because they're, like you said, they're at the screen all day and, and they're working typically working with a much larger base of customers in the outside. Uh, so they need something to track not only all the customers, but all our activity.
0: Exactly. Right. All right. What next Mark?
2: Uh, well, I, I thought it'd be helpful to talk a little bit about coverage and building a coverage model. You know, we see a lot of things, uh, or I've seen a lot of things over the years. Uh, I tell you, I've been in, Consulting for 40 years, but then I'd have to tell you that I started when I was 10 years old. Uh, well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> but uh, with inside sales, I frequent we frequently see, and I think you mentioned it on your last podcast. The tendency is to overload the inside sales people, you know, and uh, I'll give. I'll give each inside salesperson, pick the number, 300, 400, or or some large number of accounts. Right. But when you run the numbers and run the math and look at the kind of coverage you get into those uh, accounts, you end up... I've seen situations where the inside salespeople never talk to a third of their accounts. Sure. They have assigned accounts and they never talk to them. So And the important thing is to see the coverage. In fact, we've seen it in times when I've worked with uh, uh, DSG where, where you apply the analytics. Well, if we don't cover an account, the wallet share is small. If we cover it with inside sales, it increases by about a factor of five or six. When we cover it with outside sales, it increases even more. Uh, but if we put it in inside sales and nobody talks to the account, guess what? We're we're getting the smallest percentage of wallet share. So so it's important to understand that we're get we're optimizing wallet share and we optimize wallet share with a good coverage plan. Uh, so so I find it's important to actually lay it out and do the math to look at okay, inside sales. How how frequently are we going to talk to customers and And actually do the math and figure out how many contacts can an inside salesperson make in a year?
0: Yeah, well, I think this is part of a broader issue, which is that most distributors don't have a plan for how frequently they're going to contact each customer, right? And we know that there's some correlation between frequency of contact and frequency of purchase. And yet distributors have often thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of accounts and contacts in their system, and there's no structured plan to reach out to them. And that's whether it's by email or by an outbound sales call or by a direct mail or a sales rep. And and really, and, and this is something we learned from you as well, Mark, early on is that you need a plan to multiply the number of outbound contacts you make because for a couple of reasons, one is you want to remain relevant and have the customer think of you when they need something. But, you know, as Jonathan has often pointed out, not only we don't just segment customers, customers segment their distributors. And they think of the, you know, this distributor is my air compressor person, and this distributor is my motors person, and this distributor is my tools person. And if you're going to overcome that, you have to constantly educate them about what you sell, right? Um, and and the and and the other thing is they don't know, even if they think of you uh sometimes, they don't know what you sell. The, you constantly have to remind them of what you sell. And if you doubt that, then walk through a branch sometime with a customer, and you'll hear at some point them say or ask, when did you start carrying that product? When, in fact, you've, all carried, time. Yeah, you've carried that product for 30 years. They just don't know it. But we know what we sell, so we assume our customers do too. So yeah. you need this aggressive, robust contact strategy that applies not only to outbound callers, but to email and direct mail and to outbound sellers.
2: And we know, and we all know, a lot of distributors that have very broad product lines, right? Uh, to the extent that even that sometimes some, some parts of the sales team don't know all the products in their line, uh, so how would customers find that out, right? So what 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 you see, you know, if you take if you start an inside sales program and you take a set of customers and hand them to an inside salesperson and and let them do their thing. What they tend to do is uh, follow the path of least resistance. So they'll talk to the customers that that behave like they want to talk to the salesperson. Uh, they'll focus on the large customers that order every week, um, and they won't find time for the b- bottom half. Mm-hmm. And the bottom half, uh, probably are typically smaller buyers, but the bottom half probably has some, what I'd call diamonds in the rough that with the right coverage strategy can really move up. So so what, what we tend to do is, uh, what I like to do is have a coverage model that varies the coverage for inside sales based upon what the account is worth today to me and what the account could be worth. So it's important to try to find a way to to grade those customers. And in the uh, slide we have up here, we actually have five grades. We have A A through D for customers that are are buyers today, and we have E for non-buying customers for prospects. And those could be customers that uh, have gone dormant or customers that we just have on our uh, in our sites that have never purchased from us. And typically, you know, I'd like to think of this as sort of a Pareto analysis in 80-20. Typically we'll see that the top 20% of the customers, uh, put in the top two grades and the A's and B's, and that's probably, most cases, 80%. And with most distributors, more like 90% or more of their revenue, that that would be more likely. It's highly skewed to the top. Right. So, uh, so we want to make sure we're talking to those at a frequency that's meaningful for that kind of value from the customer. Sure. If they buy once a week, we probably want to talk to them at least once a week. So so at that those top levels, we have high frequency. At the lower levels with uh, prospects, we maybe want to talk to them two or three times a year but if we don't have a coverage model and a way to track that, those typically get lost in the equation, and even the middle of that account base will frequently get lost in the equation. So I find it's helpful on the front end when you number one, when you're planning a an inside sales team and you're planning to launch it, it's helpful to build a, a conceptual coverage model uh, because you want to set an expectation with your inside salespeople, but you also want to make sure you have you're you're calculating and giving them an appropriate territory size if you give them 400 customers and they can do 2,500 to 4,000 contacts a year uh they're gonna have a hard time getting all those customers on a meaningful basis so so you're balancing how many customers you can give them and that's that affects your cost of selling you're balancing uh how much I invest in the top layers of my customers versus the bottom layers and prospects. And and you're balancing that against uh, the economics in each grade level of customer. So so this is a model that uh, is helpful on the front end, sort of sizing territories for inside salespeople, and then setting expectations. And then on, on the back end, when you're managing the team, Uh, setting expectations for coverage, and then tracking against that expectation for coverage. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, what's a minimum to have a relationship with a customer? Right. Is it meaningful to talk to an active customer once a year? And then the other thing I find is both this and the metrics are becoming even more important in inside sales organizations When people are moving to a hybrid or a remote environment, as you're trying to manage an, uh, an inside sales team, when you don't necessarily have the person in front of you every day, all day. So,
1: um, Mark, we had a question, um, from Ron, what kind of targeting is done before the outbound calls? That's question one. And then the second one is, what are some of the learnings for those who are successful in getting to the right person and how they position the call? So what was that first question, Jonathan? Can you? What, what kind of targeting is done before the outbound call? Targeting. So
0: how, how do you choose who to call? I think he answered this question a little like 10 minutes ago before you put up this slide. But I, but I think the what you talked about is you need a way to assign some type of potential, whether it's with, through a scoring model or something. Yeah. Um, And then you're going to bucket them into the A through D, A through, actually E, if, you know, from, you know, high potential to they're not buying at all, right? Yep. So what goes into those equations? Is that a, or what goes into that, that bucketing, I think might be uh, one one step further in that question.
2: The first element is what they actually buy from you. So it's your current sales volume with that customer. The second is uh, that potential. So you might have a more sophisticated model like the analytics Jonathan talked about earlier, but also you might have something more simplistic. You might say uh, all companies in this SIC code or of this, in this industry, if you have an industry coded database, are worth this much to us. Uh, but the, the third element that I like to use, which is important is if you can vary that, that potential based upon your likelihood to get it. Uh, Just knowing that they buy this much uh, is helpful, but uh, there's some customers where you're never gonna get the full potential. And there are reasons for that. I mean, and sometimes letting the inside salesperson or the salesperson that works with the account determine what that likelihood is, is helpful because they know some things about the account that you won't know unless you talk to it, like, you know, Uh, okay this person buys these products from us but this other product product b he buys from a company where his brother-in-law works and we're never going to get that business or or whatever but you'll see scenarios where the the customer buys something but you won't get that business for whatever reason and it's helpful to be able to accommodate that when you look at a grading model and when you look at your targeting uh within your account base and I think they're all sort of targeted, but targeted at different levels. We're willing to make a different investment in our A customers than we are in our D customers. Right. And what if, what are the, what are the
0: learnings? So for those who have been successful at getting to the right person and how they position the call, are there some general uh, things trends you've seen that made them successful?
2: I'd say when you start this, is uh, I'd be cautious not to not underestimate what these accounts can be worth hmm. there they're always more than you expect and uh, and you need to understand where your break even is but uh, but don't set your don't set your expectations too low
0: interesting okay so you think there's a
2: tendency to underestimate there's a tendency to underestimate absolutely and I think that's why it's helpful sometimes to get outside data to sort of validate those estimates and, and if you have if you have the sales team be the exclusive estimator, the the people that that are the primary people driving the estimates, they they're they're going to tend to be very low. They will because I'm getting all I can from this customer, 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. and I state that, and I'm being a little flippant because it's not that extreme, but it it's close to that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 Some they're sales
1: sincere, and they're won't... sincere about that also, right? They're, they're not they're not gaming you. They sincerely believe they have
2: that much of a oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, and I even though I say that in jest, you know, 10% of all jokes are intended to be true. There's there's 10% truth in every joke. Right. at least
0: 10%. So we have another question from Lauren. She wants to know what does compensation look like for each role, inside sales versus outside sales?
2: Uh depends how you have it structured. You know, I'll go back to Eric's question earlier with an integrated sales team. You want, uh, well, let me start. I, I always like to see it be a portion variable and a, and a significant portion variable based upon performance. Uh, if you have an integrated team, I think uh, you won't get what you want out of the team unless the variable portion is based upon the team selling, the team revenue. Uh, so, so that's an element. Uh, if it's just inside sales, and even inside and outside sales and uh, integrated teams together, uh, I like to see the variable uh, have an overall volume component to it, but also have a growth volume tied to it. So, so uh, what I've seen be pretty effective is if you set a goal uh based upon previous year sales and then look at growth on top of that previous year sales that that would be the goal and then they they get a percentage of the total and a percentage of growth above historical performance and maybe a stretch goal that takes you even beyond that with a higher percentage uh i think i explained that okay that's that well, I sense. think that's
0: that, that's the structure. But I mean, generally speaking, the outbound callers make less than the out, outside salespeople. Right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit high risk, a little bit lower risk job than outside sales, a little less demanding. I Typically, uh, I'd say inside sales at a compensation level, that's maybe 60 to 70 percent of outside sales. But also much lower T&E. Absolutely, a lot lower teeny,
1: and those numbers will vary by geography, right? So, what what you're paying for a sales rep or a or a proactive inside
2: sales rep in New York is going to be different than what you're paying for it in Texas, probably, right? What I tend is what I think is most effective is if you have a base and a variable. If you're pretty stable with the base and you let right. the variable drive the drive the difference.
1: So. Uh, what will be the range for an inside sales rep near New York City? I, I mentioned New York, and somebody's like, "Which should we be New York City?
2: Uh, it's been a few years since I've worked with this inside sales team in uh, New York City. But I think, you know, I'll throw a wild guess out there. I'm uh, uh, Trying to understand what maybe has changed in the last couple of years. Uh, I haven't been to New York City since the pandemic hit. Uh, the, uh, I, I think you're in the higher part of the range, obviously in New York city, uh, higher than you'd be in, uh, in Denver or in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I, I guess, and it also depends on industry. Some industries you're going to be higher than others, but I guess if you're not in the, uh, I'm going to give you a wide range. I'm going to say sixty to a hundred thousand, all in, all in. So that's not just base. That's that's commission. Not just state. base. Oh, total. Copy. And 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 what I like to see people do is do a base that's uh, sort of a uh, minimal is not the right word, but a, a sort of a living wage base, and a variable allows them to get significantly above that. Hmm. But the variables. All economically justified based upon their performance within the company.
0: Right, Jonathan, you want to take the next one from Eric?
2: Yeah, I was expecting somebody to ask about
1: the the, the uh, salaries in, in Arkansas, but we didn't get that question <laughs> yet. So. Don't don't um, give them any ideas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, outside sales is higher variable, variable, um, and meaning commission. In this case, this is Eric's opinion. Inside sales sales is less variable. He says he likes to keep things simple. For inside, he goes with bonuses tied to target dollars for the whole team as opposed to commission. So comment, I guess, I guess the question or the question to you is bonus versus commission as part of the total comp. Do you have a preference for the one versus the other?
2: I like the commission a little better than bonuses. Now, depending on how you structure it, they can work very similarly. But with commission, you get the smaller incremental improvements and they're people are rewarded on that where with bonuses they're more stepped if you know what i mean right so they're rewarded on the big steps but they're not rewarded on the small incremental change to get to those steps that they are in the bonus and and i think they're more motivated to get those in so you get to the end of the month or depending on when you pay out the bonus or commission or you get to the end of whatever the pay period is whether it's monthly quarterly or annually. They're not motivated to get that little bit of increment uh, that they are with the commission when it's a bonus, because they're only motivated if they can get all the way to the next step. Okay,
1: I think that's a terrific answer. Uh, we have a question about another locale, which is one of the U.S. minor outlying islands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I think. I think we're probably pretty good at this point. Um, Anything else you want to add, Mark?
2: Uh, I can't think of anything at this point.
0: I I do want to say that Eric's asked several different questions and jumped in. Eric's going to be on the show, so so we can't wait to talk to him because this is such a a fascinating topic. But you know, one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Mark, before we wrap up, and uh, and you know, is that you know this uh, is easy to it's easy to underestimate the power of proactive inside sellers and and if you think about like most distributors have an outside sales force right and they're looking their outside sales force is competing is out there elephant hunting and they're competing with a bunch of other distributors who also have elephant hunters in the field right so there's tremendous competition for these big customers and relatively lower margins because these are big customers and big potential for every distributor the most natural progression to expand your demand generation is to move into the mid-market with outbound sellers because you already know how to manage the sales force. There are some things you have to adapt and learn that you've talked about today, but it is still managing a sales force that has accounts assigned to them and has compensation and bonuses or, or commissions. And, you know, so it's not like this is installing a capability that you have no background in, right? I mean, you're just, you're taking your outside sales competencies and you're moving them to managing outbound sellers. But you're moving into this mid-market and there are two big advantages. One is there's typically less selling competition because a lot of distributors don't have this functionality. So it's very common for these outbound sellers to say, Hey, I talked to this customer and no one's called on him in three years. He was so happy to hear from me because he feels like somebody sure. cares. Right. Absolutely. And the, the second big advantage is this mid-market goes at significantly higher margins, gross margins than these big customers. And so if you so if you cultivate this, you're dealing with less competition and higher margins. And Jonathan looks like you wanted to jump in.
1: Yeah, I think just to your point on the higher margins. In the construction world, it's four to six, maybe seven points higher margins for mm-hmm. the ones that are on the proactive inside sales accounts. Right. Industrial, it can be as high as 10 points higher margin, literally. So it's it's a it's it's material difference in margin and and therefore profitability.
0: Yeah. So I would encourage everyone if you go back to October, November of 2021, if you go to distributionstrategy.com, we click on events, you'll find three webinars that Mark did for us uh last year about this time that were really laid all this out in great detail. Uh like I said, I'll make sure these slides are available online under the wholesale change tab. Um We do have a couple of upcoming events I wanted to tell you about. On December 7th, we're having a panel discussion. This is going to be great. We have uh, one manufacturer who manages distributors for his company and two distributor executives who are going to talk about e-commerce. And they're going to talk about, you know, what the technology stack is, how they succeed, what their challenges have been. It's going to be a fascinating uh, uh, moderated discussion Uh, we encourage you to go to our events page and sign up for that. That's brought to you by Epicor, who was also one of the sponsors of today's show. So we thank Epicor for their ongoing support for our research. We spend a lot of money on research. And the only reason we can do that is because companies like uh, Epicor sponsor it. So thanks to Epicor. On December 14th, we're absolutely delighted to host Tony Harris on this show. He's the founder of Think B2B. He was the CMO at DigiKey, tremendously successful electronic components distributor. Uh, Tony is a, a fascinating guy. We're going to have a great discussion. So please go to Wholesale Change and sign up for that. Um, I and I put Mark Peck's contact information at the bottom of the page. It's mpeck at apexgroup.com. So please reach out to mpeck at apexgroup. That's A-P-E-X-X group, two X's, mpeck at apexgroup.com. Uh, or just reach out to us and we can put you in touch with him. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for spending this time with us today and putting together this information. We we'll really appreciate it.
2: You're welcome. I appreciate being on the show.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to continue to work with you. Jonathan, always a pleasure, my friend. I love doing this show with you. It's one of the highlights of uh, two of the highlights of my month is doing two shows with you a month. So thanks to everyone for joining us. We'll see you on the next episode of Wholesale Change. And until then, happy sales to you. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) On that sour note. Bill Murray's got nothing on you when it comes to the (laughs) last year.
0: That's not saying much. Until then, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye now.